And so we're going to finish out this wall. And it's been marching over this for the last eight weeks. This is the eighth week of this series. So it's been a long series. And, and just to recap a little bit, you know, this is from all, because we're going to come full circle today, this is all from that story of Jericho. Right in the book of Joshua, chapter six, where you know Joshua Israelites they they get a word from God to march around the city of Jericho once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day they march seven times with seven priests and seven trumpets. And do you remember the thing they did? Shout. Grace remembers. <laughs> it's hidden in the sermon title. Um, they shouted together on that seventh day. They lifted a shout, right, and that's when God took the walls down. And so the mentality behind this entire series is, what if we took the Jerichos in our lives, the, the walls like pride and anger and control and sadness, selfishness, insecurity, and today division, what if we took these walls that can stand between us in a relationship with God and us in a relationship with the others, and what if we hopefully, as you've hopefully been doing throughout the week, been marching around in your brain, in your heart after each one of these Sundays, just really going home and thinking about it or praying about it, say, God, I don't want to be a a prideful person. I want to be a humble person. God, I don't want to be a selfish person. God, I don't want to be a control freak. God, I don't want to be dwelling on this sadness event of, of 12 years ago or whatever it was and letting that dominate my life. We've walked through each one of these walls and we're going to finish up today with the wall of division. And I want to preface it with this. Just like anger and sadness, a few of the other walls that we've talked about through this series, division is not necessarily a bad thing. You with me on that? There's divisions in football. Otherwise, what, someone from the Sun Belt would play Alabama for the national championship, right? Divisions are not necessarily a bad thing. The question we have to ask, the important question is, well, which ones? Which ones in division? I'll be honest with you. This, this message and writing out this message this week was a lot harder to put together than any one of these other walls, and I think the, the reality of that or the, the reason behind that is because basically this could be its own series, if we're going to be honest. And when we talk about division and, and the division that exists outside the church and inside the church and inside of our lives, we come to this point where this is a lot bigger maybe than just one setting. I'm going to try to unpack it the best I can because uh, it was a long time scrapping and rewriting messages and stuff this week to finally come around to what it, this is. And so we're going to look at three tiers today, three different tiers of division. First of all is division outside the church, as we talk about this wall of division. Division outside the church, division inside the church, and then finally division inside your heart and inside your life. We're going to look at these three tiers of division and how we're going to be talking about that each one of these can be a wall that separates things. And I want to go ahead and give you the other side of the wall. Usually throughout the other weeks of this series, we've saved that kind of word till last, right? Because, you know, on, on each one of these, as we approach these from this side of the wall, there's a different perspective, and that's God's perspective, and that's the other side of the wall, and the way He looks at things. And if you remember, does anyone remember the, the opposite word of pride that we, we looked at? Anyone? Humility. Yeah. What about anger? Kindness. Yeah, you got it. What about control? Surrender. That's why we sang that song again today. They kind of reprised that. I surrender. Right? Sadness. Peace. That's right. What about selfishness? Servanthood. Right. What about insecurity? Trust. Woo! Some people listen it. Yes! The rest of you... I'm just kidding. I have to go back and listen to all eight hours. And I'm just kidding. So we're going we're gonna to finish out today, and for each one of these, you get three words today, because for each one of these tiers, 
we're going to get an alternate word for each one. The common word that's going to bind everything together is unity. That's probably not a hard one to guess, right? But there's these subwords which I'm excited about unpacking. So the first tier we're going to look at, this wall that can stand in people's way and in our way and the church's way between us and God's way is division outside of the church. When we look outside of these walls, what's going on in the world? Division outside the church. We're going to be looking at a lot, a lot of scripture today. So the first place if you want to turn is the book of Luke, Luke, sorry, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 49, Luke 12, 49. Again, if, while you turn there, if you've got a Bible, um, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's some over there to your left underneath the prayer board. If you don't have a Bible at all, ever, 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 um, take one of those Bibles home with you today, and that can be yours forever, ever. So, um, so Luke 12, verse 49, this is the words of Jesus. I came to cast fire on the earth... And would that it have already kindled. I have baptism to be baptized with. We know now he's talking about his crucifixion, right? And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. I can imagine, knowing you're getting ready to walk into that. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? What's his answer? No, I tell you. But rather, what's this word? Division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two and two against three. It's not going to add up. It's not going to be even. They will be divided, father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. That happens naturally anyway, right? And daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. People are going to be divided. Jesus came to, what? And you're like, where are we starting with this, Josh? What's going on with this wall of division? Jesus came to divide? Yes. Because the greatest division that has ever existed or will ever exist, exists because of Jesus Christ. We need to be clear about that. You either have a relationship with him, and you follow God's ways, and you have an eternity in heaven, or you don't have a relationship with him, and you don't follow God's ways, and you have an eternity in hell. It doesn't get any more divided than that. And it doesn't get any simpler than that. Some of us are going to you know, have relationships and have people in our lives that know Jesus and people in our, in our relationships in our lives that, that don't know Jesus. And that's what he's talking about. I've got a good friend of mine who, whose dad is, is not a Christ follower. And he's wrestled with this for years and years and years praying for this guy. Until a few years ago, through lots of time and lots of prayer, accepted Christ. His life has changed. But they were divided for a long time. Family get-togethers probably weren't real fun. You might have a relationship like that. And so this verse might make a little bit of sense to you. Like, okay, I get it. But the bigger concept of this division outside the church, there is a big divide that Jesus came to create. We don't often think about it that way. I want to show a video really quick of uh, one of the pastors. We're going through this Multiply book study. It's Pastor Francis Chan. This is just a two-minute video clip, and I want to take a, take a look at this, and we'll continue. No one believes in their destruction out there. They don't believe there's a judgment. Man, half the people in the church don't even believe a judgment's coming. Which I just go, man, did you ever read this? 
Like you're going, well, I don't believe a loving God could judge. I go, get to page two. <laughs> it killed everyone. It's like, what are you thinking? They're like, well, you know, and I'm like, man, read about Egypt. Read about, you, you know, I mean, the ground's opening up. It's swallowing up people. You tell me, man, do you, do you read? And they're like, well, you're just quoting Old Testament. Yeah, because he mellows out in Revelation. You just... <laughs> you guys... <laughs> but what the Bible says, though, is... It's our unity. When we're perfectly one and we're striving side by side, the Bible says they're going to start believing in their destruction and our salvation. Again, this doesn't add up to me. But I made a decision that even when this book doesn't make sense to me, I'm still going to submit to it. And whenever I disagree with this book, I assume I'm wrong. Okay? This is a big problem in our world today, is whenever your brilliant mind disagrees with this book, you assume there's something wrong here, rather than something wrong here. Okay? And this is what God is saying. He says, look, I know you have your new methodologies. I've read all the books. But I'm telling you, when you become one, like the Father and Son are one, when you become perfectly united, not afraid of anything, they're going to believe in their destruction. They're going to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and they're going to believe that you were loved by God and that you are saved. And that's what Scripture teaches. And so our work this week is to say, you know what? I know I pretty much get along with these people, but am I pursuing this oneness? Are we pursuing this oneness with God? Because there's a division that Jesus came to create with those people who aren't having that oneness with Him. Are we pursuing oneness with the world? No, we shouldn't, right? Should we pursue oneness with Christ and the church? Well, yeah. Book of James. James chapter 4, verse 1. And he writes, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your, that's your passions are at war within you? You desire and you, and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous, adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Bold verse, right? I want to underline that. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, right? We see this series tie all back in together and maybe make some sense. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Well, that doesn't sound fun. He says, because humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
That's biblical. It's not Josh saying this. That's in the Word of God. Creating divisions from yourself to the world, creating divisions, yes. From yourself to those worldly things and those worldly pleasures and those worldly desires. Creating divisions within the church or divisions between your family or divisions between believers, no, that's not bad. You don't do that. That is bad, sorry. You can't serve two masters, Jesus says in Matthew. Either Jesus or the world, you can't serve both. Therefore, you do have to divide things. You can't pursue oneness with God and oneness with the world. It's impossible. You have to do one or the other. In this division, you're going to have to divide things. This is one of the good divisions. You're like, well, this isn't a wall. Yeah, it is. Because we get this wall upside down in our lives. We get this wall messed up in our lives. You're going to have to divide time. Well, do I want to spend my time focusing on God or do I want to spend my time focusing on video games or sewing or drinking or pornography? What do you want to spend your time on? Do I want to, do I want to spend my, do I want my friends to be in the church or my friends outside the church? Well, they keep me not holy. Do I want my desires to be within God's will or do I want my desires to be my will? My way. My activities. Do I go to church or do I not go to church? Do I go to the group or do I not go to the group? And if I don't go to the group, why don't I go? And if I go to church, why do I go? So you can't pursue this oneness with God and oneness with the world. You are going to have to create, just like Jesus came to create, division in your life. Because we are living in a day and an age that even the church is starting to say, there's no divisions to the world. This outside the church division. No, no, no. We're going to tear down these walls. No divisions outside the church. And they breeze past the scripture we just read from Luke. Jesus came to create divisions in the world. We're living in the church where even the church is saying that a multitude of sins and things that haven't been in okay in the eyes of God for millennia are deemed suddenly okay in the eyes of us. Just because there is or should be a division doesn't mean that we can't love or care for the person on the other side of that division. But you have to respect the divide. Does this make sense? You see, what we realize from reading this passage in Luke and James is that the church isn't called to create unity outside of itself. We're not called to go outside of our doors and make everyone togetherness. That's not up to us. That's up to God. We need to respect the divide and say that, well, do you know Jesus or do you not know Jesus? Because if you don't know Jesus, I want to reach into your life to pursue that oneness. The church is called to create unity within itself. And as Christ followers, our perspective to this division outside the church should be this word. Immunity. See the unity? I tied that in there. I thought it was kind of clever, right? <laughs> immunity. My unity is not going to be affected by what the world says is okay. Does that make sense? My oneness with God and my oneness with the church and my oneness with others is not going to be affected by what the world says is okay or what the world says to believe. Because I'm going to rely on the Word of God. In the dictionary, the, the definition for immune or immunity is insusceptible or resistant to something. And if there's a word that we can tie in about division outside the church, it should be this word, immunity. I want to be insusceptible or resistant 
to whatever the world's got going on. Why? Because I don't need that. I need Jesus. Are y'all with me on this? Is this making sense? Okay, I wasn't sure because this was one of those things. It was like, it, man, it wrecked me this week trying to put all this stuff together because it's, for me at least, it was, it was pretty deep. So we, we, we're clear on the first part of this wall, this first tier, right? There are divisions outside the church, and that's okay. It's like a beat breath. Say that together. That's okay because that's what God's word does. It divides those who know him and those who don't. And it really is that simple. Our second tier is division within the church. We're going to look at three scriptures really quickly, back to back to back. First of all, Romans. Romans chapter 16. And then the good news is, hopefully after that, you don't even have to turn the page for our second scripture. But Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. Paul writes this. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause, what's the word? divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. He's talking about within the church now. What? Within the world, this is within the church. Verse 18, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery. Hey, you look good. Come do what I want. They deceive the hearts of the naive. Go on to the next page. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. Paul writes again to another church. I appeal to you, brothers, this sounds familiar, right? By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you within the church, but that you be united, there's that word unity, united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. He says, is Christ divided? Or was Paul me? Was I crucified for you? No. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. Baptized in the name of Christ. So be with Christ. Our last verse in this is still in the same book. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 now. Bounce over to chapter 12. Verse 12. 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized in one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all are made to drink of one spirit, one Holy Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Good thing we're all not a finger, right? If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would make it any less part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, and you picture your ear just going on strike and just walking away, at least that's what I picture in my brain, I'm like, come back here, come back. Um, anyway, verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, would this, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And they're like, okay, Paul, we get it. You're talking about a human body. He's like, no, no, no. He goes on, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I don't need you. Feet. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no, what, 
division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. It's not your finger that gets the flu, all right? If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now it finally makes sense. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ. And individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping and ministering in various kinds of tongues. It's like, are all apostles? Is everyone prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But no. Earnestly desire the greater gifts. And he goes on to part we mostly say for weddings. It makes a lot more sense if you read this first. Even the book of James, we were in a few moments ago, where we left off in verse 10. He goes on in verse 11 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Are we getting starting to paint the picture of unity within the church? Right? One body, yeah, okay, we get it. No, no, no. Um, anyone here do CrossFit? That's what I thought. I'm just kidding. Um, so I've been pretty nerd you know, lately and watching some fitness stuff and trying to get better about myself. And um, I watched this two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour two documentary. It's on Netflix streaming. It's called, like, The Fittest Person on Earth or whatever. And it's this, they go through the history and the story of these CrossFit games. And I, I will go on a, I'll put this out here. This is, I'm not saying do CrossFit. That's a very dangerous fitness regimen. But the documentary was really, really entertaining for me. So, um... You guys have heard of CrossFit, right? Well, okay, we're kind of all on the same page. I don't have to describe what CrossFit is. And it's this crazy bunch of people that go into this, these non-gym gyms, and they do all these kind of weird total fitness exercises, like, I'm going to lift 18 tires, you know, and they're going to climb ropes, and they're going to you know, do all the kind of high-intensity stuff or hit cardio and just back-to-back-to-back to back to back all these different exercises. And I want to read you a section of what CrossFit is, described as, this is verbatim, from their website. CrossFit is a fitness regimen developed by Greg Glassman over several decades. Glassman, CrossFit's founder and CEO, was the first person in history to define fitness in a meaningful, measurable way. Increased work capacity across broad time and modal domains. He then created a program specifically designed to improve fitness and health. CrossFit is constantly varied functional movements performed at high intensity. All CrossFit workouts are based on functional movements, and these movements reflect the best aspects of gymnastics, weightlifting, running, rowing, and more. These are the core movements of life. They move the largest loads, the longest distances, so they are ideal for maximizing the amount of work done in the shortest time. Intensity is essential for results and is measurable as work divided by time, or power. The more work you do in less time, the higher the power output, the more intense the effort. By employing a constantly varied approach to training, functional movements and intensity lead to dramatic gains in fitness. The community that spontaneously arises when people do these workouts together is a key component of why CrossFit is so effective. And it gave birth to a global network of CrossFit affiliates that number over 13,000. 13,000 gyms around the world, CrossFit people. Harnessing the natural camaraderie, competition, and fun of sport or game yields an intensity that cannot be matched by other means. The CrossFit program is driven by data. Using whiteboards, scoreboards, keeping accurate scores and records, running a clock, and precisely defining the rules and standards for performance, we not only motivate unprecedented output, but derive both relative and absolute metrics at every workout. 
This data has important value, well beyond motivation. Overall, the aim of CrossFit is to forge a broad, general, and inclusive fitness supported by measurable, observable, and repeatable results. The program prepares trainees for any physical contingency, not only for the unknown, but for the knowable, too. Our speciality is not specializing. While CrossFit challenges the world's fittest, the program is designed for universal scalability, making it the perfect application for any committed individual, regardless of experience. We scale load and intensity. We don't change the program. The needs of Olympic athletes and our grandparents differ by degree, not kind. Why are you saying this, Josh? Because I'm pulling a Paul. What if we had the same intensity that some of these CrossFit people do, right? And if you've ever bumped into a CrossFit person, you know these people are in a different, different world of fit and health and paleo and food and diet and running. And you're like, something's up with you. I'm not quite sure, but they're blowing up. You realize CrossFit's only been around for like 15 years. And in 2007, they had their first CrossFit Games held on this ranch out in Palo Alto, California or something like that with like 300 people or something. Now, all these, there was like 300,000 people tried out for these CrossFit Games. They're televised. They're on ESPN 10 years later. And there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people all doing this CrossFit fitness lifestyle thing. And they had this community together. That's what they talked about. And imagine if we weren't reading about CrossFit for a second. So I rewrote what they've got on their website, and I want us to try to get a mental picture of this. Imagine you're reading about this thing called church for the first time. Like, I've seen these other church people. They're doing this lifestyle program change. They're looking good. They're feeling good. Uh, there's something going on. I want to click on the website. Click, click, click. There it is. I want to read this. What is church? Church. Using the same paraphrase from this website. Church is a lifestyle, right? Developed by the Creator since the beginning of time. Jesus Christ, the founder and CEO of church, was the first person in history to be born of a virgin, be part man and part divine, son of God, perform countless miracles, which can be read about in our handbook, be crucified and die for our sins, rise from that death to ascend to heaven, opening the door for relationship and eternity with God. The outcome? Boom, church. Church combines basic functional actions like the need for human contact, spiritual growth, music, and learning. These are the core movements of a churchgoer. By employing a varied approach of missions, ministry, evangelism, fellowship, and discipleship, and worship, the higher intensities of these lead to dramatic gains in spiritual growth. Together, the community that spontaneously arises when people worship God together and are motivated by the same Holy Spirit to be active in each other's lives and in the community for Christ is a key component of why church is so effective. And it gave birth to a global network of other churches that number over 37 million locations. Let that sink in for a second. That's a lot of churches globally, right? Harnessing the life that Jesus modeled yields a relationship and eternal outcome that cannot be matched by any other means ever. The church program is driven by data. Using the Word of God, a.k.a. the Bible, written works and documents compiled over thousands of years about God, we not only study it at every gathering, we derive our life metrics as well. This data has important value well beyond motivation. Overall, the aim of church is to forge a road, or the way, into a better understanding and relationship with Jesus Christ by measurable, observable, and repeatable movements of our Creator. The program prepares trainees, or disciples as we call them, for any contingency, not only for the unknown, but for the knowable too. Our speciality is not specializing. While church challenges even the world's most holy people and spiritually mature, 
The program is designed for universal scalability, making it the perfect application for any individual regardless of experience. We scale load and intensity. We don't change the program or delete the data. Did you know that an average of 67% of people who have gym memberships never show up? Do you realize that CrossFit has a 98% retention rate? It's a big difference, right? People who do CrossFit stay and stick with CrossFit. People who just have a gym membership, 67% don't show up. What makes CrossFit unique is that it's not a gym. It's a community. You see, church isn't meant to be a gym where you have memberships or you pay dues and you show up whenever. It's meant to be an evolving community that shows up together, that prays together, that worships together, that laughs together, that cries together, that moves together, that grows together. And community, woo, yeah, there's Mary. Community is what we should share with each other. It's why we have the prayer board. It's why we have the care and share board out there. It's why we're doing things differently than a lot of other churches. And you know what? That's okay. Our lives should, our crazy chaotic lives should intersect, right? And become harmonious when we come together. When we approach church like the intense crossfitters do, our life changes. Why? Because they eat, they breathe, they live that stuff. This is the very first thing the documentary starts out with is this, this lady who ends up, I won't spoil it, I guess, she ends up winning um, at the end, um, it's last year's, so it's already happened. You're not going to find out anything new. Um, last year's CrossFit Games, and it's this Swedish or Norwegian girl, and she's like, I live, I eat, I breathe this stuff. She wakes up, the only thing she wants to do is exercise. Imagine if you and I had the mindset of like, I can't wait for church. Yeah, I'm, you're, yeah, you're making the faces, I think, in my brain, right? I can't wait for church. Yes, it's Sunday. Or what if, what if, crazy this, it's church today. It's not Sunday. I don't care. I'm going to call three of my friends, and we're going to work out together. Why? Because I want to get fit, gains, right? I want to I drink the juice. I want to eat the paleo. I want to live the lifestyle that a churchgoer, that a Christ follower should. Can we honestly say we eat, we live, we breathe church? If not, it's because something is off in tier three. Division within our heart and our life. Book of John, chapter 17, is where we're going to turn. And this is right before Jesus is betrayed. He's praying in the garden. And this is his last words written out for us before he's arrested and then crucified and Dies on a cross. Says, Father, forgive them, and a couple other things here and there, but we're going to start in verse 20. Jesus says, I don't ask for these only, in other words, for the disciples who are already here, but I also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. This is what Francis Chan was talking about earlier. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may, may be with me where I am 
to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that they that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Psalm chapter 86, verse 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart. Unite my heart to fear your name. See, you and I struggle with this daily, if we're honest. But when we pursue this undivided heart for God, our lives radically change. Not only does it make the other two divisions we've talked about within the church, was the division and within the world division, it makes those things perfectly clear, but it also aligns our activities when we have this oneness with God. It aligns our wants when we have this oneness with God. It aligns our desires and our needs and our purpose and our focus when we have this oneness with God. And we've saved this wall for last, not because it's the hardest, but because this is the only wall that we're talking about in this entire series that you are in charge of. You are in charge of your heart and your life's focus, whether it's on God and church or community or together and immunity from the world, or whether it's on whatever you deem is important. Your goals, your agenda, your choices, what the world says to believe or what the world says to accept or endorse or condone. You choose this day, like Joshua said, 24-17, right? Who you're going to serve. Like, last for me is my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So I'm going to bring my family to church. No. What about your house? What about your house in here and in here? And that leads us to these words. Unity and triunity. It's a triunity word. Yeah, you can look it up. It's in there. It just directs you to this fun word called, guess what? Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It means that triunity is you relying on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of cool, isn't it? So we have immunity from the world. We have community within our church. I don't think it's ironic that it's called CrossFit, right? And then we have triunity. Our hearts Relying on the Father, the Creator and the Provider, the Son, the Intercessor and the Sacrifice for us, and the Holy Spirit to be our guide and presence in our lives. So let's bring this all, these walls of division and everything, let's bring this all back full circle. Book of Joshua, chapter 5, right back where we started. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, way back in the, New, in the Old Testament. We've read this a few weeks ago. Actually, it was before this series. And I think it'll make a little bit more sense now. Verse 13, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. like, Well, you didn't answer my question. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. We know who that person is, if you remember. Who is that person he's talking to? He's faced, Joshua's face-to-face with Jesus in this moment, if you remember that message. Because who's the commander of the armies of the Lord? talks about it in Revelation. See, we think Jesus only appears in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Wow. Jesus is everywhere in this book. 
I am the commander of the armies of the Lord, he says, now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals, take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And what's the heading for the next chapter if you have one like I do? The fall of Jericho. You see, it's not ironic and it's not coincidence that Joshua aligned his heart with God's will and God's way. We look at Jericho as a miracle. No, that's just God's response to what Joshua had done within his heart and within his life. Does this make sense in this series? So as we wrap up and we talk about this, hashtag walls come down, we talk about this entire series and we talk about pride and anger and control and sadness and selfishness and insecurity and division. If we are not one with God, are any of these walls really, really going to come down? No. If we are one with God, pursuing immunity from the world and community within our church, can God take these walls down? Absolutely. You and I are going to have a radically different life when we remember this one thing. Unity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Community within our church. Immunity from the world. And just like Joshua, we're going to look back one day and we're like, was that a miracle? Yes. But it was also God's response to our faithfulness, just like in Joshua. And I've had a fun time walking through this series with you guys. It's been, I think, a really cool series. God's worked in my heart. I pray and hope He's worked in yours to break down some of the walls that I was wrestling with and I didn't even know. And just because we're done with this series doesn't mean God's not done taking down walls. That's what God does. We might not have covered a topic or something that you were wrestling with, But if you have this oneness, this unity with God, you're going to see Him move in mighty ways in your life. Let's pray.